You're listening to the Physics Ed Podcast. For hundreds of ideas, free experiments and more, go to physicseducation.com.au. And now, here's your host, Ben Newsom. Yes, welcome again for another Physics Ed Podcast. Glad to have you no matter where you are around this world of ours. We are talking STEM and today we're talking about paleontology as we hang out with Sally Hurst, who is a museum education presenter at the Australian Museum. And she used to work at the National Dinosaur Museum. Now, by the way, she's also a superstar of STEM with Science and Technology Australia. One of the superstars of STEM, she does an amazing job in inspiring women to get involved in science. Love her work. And today, we get to find out just why she does what she does when it comes to paleontology, her research in this, and why she is a mentor for young rural girls in a whole bunch of scholarship and coaching programs. Let's get right into it. This is quite a busy year for you as a superstar of STEM. Yes, it's a very exciting development. So hopefully throughout this year and next year, I will be heading to schools. I'll be talking about STEM for girls and women across Australia and even the world and sort of showing a pathway for if they wanted to do some of the things that I get to do in paleontology or archaeology, they can as well. And that's what I want to know about. <laughs> what do you get to do in paleontology and so on? Yeah, so I am very lucky that, um, so at university, I studied archaeology, which is the study of things like ancient humans, ancient civilizations, and paleontology, which is things like fossils and dinosaurs. Um, A lot of people do get them mixed up. So the kind of reminder, I try and think that, okay, paleontology, that's like Ross from Friends. And then archaeology is like Indiana Jones. Um, But in both of them, I get to travel around and try and dig up different things from very different time periods and yeah just try and recreate a picture of the past so if that's with dinosaurs in Australia it's trying to figure out what dinosaurs were around what kind of things they ate um, working with museums and other experts from around the world and yeah just trying to get this information to the rest of the public who I think are equally as excited by it. Oh for sure and I was actually just thinking there that um, I mean often as a student we think if I study this thing, it leads me onto this career and that's my life for the next 50 years. Um, And yet uh, one of the managers from um, the Australian space agency, Brennan, uh, he has an Egyptology background. There's actually a photo of him, like, you know, literally in Egypt doing the archeology span things. And suddenly he's now a manager within the Australian space agency. (laughs) So it can be a very, very broad way that you can go in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. I've been very lucky that I have been able to do a lot of outreach and science Mm. communication. So even though my kind of university studies were more based on going into academia, becoming a professor and writing, I'm actually like, "Mm, I just don't think that's for me. I want to go out and talk to people. Um, So I've been able to do that uh, sort of in my career as well. So uh, when you do that sort of work, uh, do you um, work mainly with high school students, primary students or anyone who gets in front of you? kind of anyone who gets in front of me so I get to do a range so I'm part of a program called Skype a scientist and so that will match usually for me it's a you know year three students I think are the most common group that I get but it is open to any school group it's open to adult groups um, and basically they will get to ask me questions about Egyptology or dinosaurs um, and yeah so I've been talking to people of all ages from all over the world through that program um, I'm hoping to do something a little bit more Australia-based through the Superstars of STEM project. Um, yep. So, yeah, do Zooms with schools 
um, anywhere around Australia and I'm based in New South Wales um, and Canberra a little bit so you know if there's any schools out there who want me to come and talk to them about dinosaurs that's definitely something I'm open to um, and then at the Australian Museum as well which is where I work we often get school groups of all ages coming in so it's a little bit of everything. Oh massively especially during science week it's very very busy with what you guys get up to we've been involved yeah. for many years. I was actually sort of thinking um, about the sort of crossover of techniques and skills that happen between archaeology and paleontology so we've got uh, we work with a number of places so the Australian Age of Dinosaurs Museum we mm -hmm. hang out with the Royal Terrell Museum in Canada and even a friend of mine in Penn Museum who does Egyptology as well I kind of wonder about the techniques because we're dealing with ancient artifacts. Some are, some are more ancient than others. And yet Absolutely. there's still a press there are preservation skills that what's the crossover there. Yeah. So I guess the general skills of how to dig stuff up um, <laughs> is very applicable across both um, yeah. really depends on the environment where you are, what kind of things you're digging up and even just how deep things are as to, you know, the kind of tools that you'll be using if it's, uh, a tractor versus a toothbrush um, but a lot of the time those things can be used across fields and a lot of the time we will kind of say oh archaeology is doing this cool technique maybe we can steal that for paleontology and even things like um, so most of a lot of the time the kind of tools that we use as paleontologists especially when we get to the fine scale there's not often dedicated tools that are built for paleontologists. So we are using okay. toothbrushes, we are using paintbrushes, we are using dental picks. Um, so we're kind of stealing little bits and pieces from everywhere else. And so, yeah, there is a bit of crossover. So if we ever see that someone else is doing something good, we will try and adopt it as well. One of the things that fascinates me is how on earth these things get found in the first place. I mean, I think about the graziers in the middle of Queensland. I mean, we're going to dinosaur side for a moment. I mean, I mean, that's a network that of farmers that say, hey, I've found a thing that's not a rock. Can someone yeah. come have a look? But I mean, I was I was reading a thing about uh, I mean, going into human remains right now around Tanzania, mm -hmm. um, how there is just these people who are just ingenious for finding scant remains of human remains. There are there's not much of it around yeah. how, how on earth do we do this how do we predict where we should go to go find these things yeah so it is very tricky and a lot of the time it does take that expert knowledge of someone who can identify it on site mm. a lot of the time I will see a bone and I'll be like I think it's a cow but I really don't know and I grew up on a farm I'm used to seeing bones mm. But then, um, you know, I've done a thing, something called a zoo archaeology course where we look at tiny little animal bones and try and identify them, sometimes just from one little bone. And the professors are amazing. They will look at that and be like, oh, that is that species of bird um, yeah. from this particular region. And I look at it and go, I'm like, man, that looks like a piece of grass to me. It's like <laughs> teeny, teeny, tiny. Right. Um, so it does take a lot of expertise and practice to kind of get that good. So yeah, if there is that network of you know, farmers and non-traditional experts, I guess, who are so familiar with different material and the land as well, for them to be able to spot that and go, that is something different. I think it's incredible. I'm curious um, as an educator, if I really wanted to dive into get, like just added a bunch of dinosaur nuts in my class, just to say, that's the way I'm going to teach this year because that's yeah. just the only way I'm going to grab their attention. Let's do this. Yeah. Um, how would we start? I mean, do, would you, I mean, we're not always going to be able to go out into a, in a fossil bed. So I'm just curious around, I mean, would it be a good thing to be like, you know, getting out tape and measuring different processes coming off bones? And like, what, what, what would you do to start this off? 
I think so much of it is just exploring out in nature. I know field trips have, you know, can be a bit of a logistic and organizational nightmare, but even if you've got, you know, kind of a garden space in your school, it doesn't have to be measuring bones. It can be measuring trees and rocks and different things. A lot of those skills of, you know, go from point A to point B, that's transferable. It doesn't really matter what the material is. It's just getting practice with, you know, using these different instruments and things. Um, I guess as well, so many places do have little local museums, history societies that are, you know, hopefully close by. And they are such an untapped resource. They are often run by volunteers um, and they are often looking for more engagement with the community. So maybe they have some objects or artifacts or potentially even fossils that people have donated that kids can go and actually interact with. Um, I know that I have my own personal collection of fossils. And so if I do ever go to a school to go and do a talk, I'll bring my box of fossils. And so give mm. kids some, you know, life experience interacting with this different material. And so if they ever are on a bushwalk or out on the farm and they see something different, they, you know, they've already had the experience of, oh, I think this is something a bit different. How can I measure this? How can I have a go at identifying it? What's going to be really fun is that um, it feels often um, as a layperson, these things aren't easy to find, but they don't necessarily have to be a straight up full-blown ichthyosaur or something like that. I mean, the if you're on the beach, so it's sand. Mm. dry it out right and find forearms yeah that is neat absolutely and you can you know nowadays buy little microscopes that are ca can attach to your phone camera and so if you put something like sand under there you will see so many amazing shapes and same kind of thing if you go and look at rock pools a lot of the time embedded into the rocks you will mm. see you know patterns of coral or shells which you know are potentially millions of years old and I think as well, a lot of the time with things like fossils and artifacts, people think that, oh, the only way I can kind of engage with this material is if I go fossicking for it to, you know, find something I can take home with me. But I think as well in so many national parks, they are aware that they have fossils in their, you know, environments. And a lot of time it might be an entire cliff face where if you look really closely, you can see little individual fossils and things. So they are definitely out there. But I think as well, turning away from, oh, I need to have something that I can bring home with me and rather turning to let's go to an Aboriginal site somewhere in a national park. Let's go and enjoy it and see what's there rather than having something to take home with me. For sure. And I'm sort of thinking about um, what, you know, the Superstars of STEM program is about is promoting STEM in lots of different ways and frankly, career pathways and getting into it and getting involved. And so that begs the question, if you had, um, if, you had if teachers were trying to get kids to understand how on earth they could Firstly, study said field, then work in said field, then work in a museum doing it. How, what are the first steps for these kids? I mean, general curiosity is always the best thing. I think even if it's something you do find something, if it's a leaf, a rock, anything, using those kind of critical thinking skills, doing a Google search, trying to figure out how you can identify it. That is so much of what I do in my research and work. So if you can get into those skills early, definitely a benefit. Um, as students are moving into kind of later years, things like year 10 work experience is incredible. Um, I was lucky enough to do mine with the National Dinosaur Museum in Canberra um, back in the day. That was near where my mum's farm was. Um, and I worked there for six years afterwards. Um, so that was, again, really good exposure. 
when it comes to things like studying high school subjects, any of your histories, pretty much any of your sciences will give you a great leg up. Um, I didn't actually do things like chemistry or biology when I was in high school. It was only when university came up that I was like, oh, I probably should have done this earlier, but um, there are so many pathways. There are lots of archaeology degrees, ancient history degrees, general science degrees where you can, you know, start in something like biology and then, you know, you can always tailor your focus to dinosaurs or to Egyptian history or Australian history. Um, there's a lot of different ways people end up kind of in museums and in this kind of research. And that brings up the point, what is your current research? So I actually run something called the Found a Fossil Project. So I've uh, recently completed my master's of research where this project was born. And it was basically asking the Australian community, if you ever found a fossil or an Indigenous artefact, what would you actually do with it? Who would you tell? Where might you go to for more information? Um, because there was nothing published on that. So for these, you know, lay persons around the country who are more likely finding these things you know people like farmers like indigenous mm. communities who are living on the land you know they're out there a lot more often than our scientists are um so you know do they have correct information and guidelines about what you can do who you can contact if you find something so i have my founder fossil website which tries to provide all of that information for every state in australia for if you do find something, here's the information, here's where you can go, here's who you can contact for identification, getting its significance assessed, and hopefully with the aim of protecting this material for kids and for people of future generations. That's really powerful, and especially when you consider it's wide. That's actually could be a massive database when I think about it. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I think as well, so when I first started talking, I did actually specify. Some things are archaeology, some things are yes. paleontology. If you are someone who just is out on your farm and you do find something and it looks a bit like a rock, but not quite, it could be a fossil. It could be a stone tool or artifacts. Sometimes it is very hard to tell. Um, and I think that was the thing as well that people were asking, well, why would you put fossils and artifacts together in a project when they are so different? It is that case of if you're on the land, you can potentially find both. So yep. it's good to have the information for both of them there. Well, it's contextual. I mean, the reality is that they're the ones finding it. That's their world. They've got a thing in their hands and they want to know what to do with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think previous to this project, it was really hard to find this information, um, mm. especially kind of adhering to things like state legislation and stuff. It was, yeah, bloody hard work for me to go through it. Um, yeah. And I'm kind of, trained how and so you know if you are a farmer and you're trying to do a google search of found a fossil what do i do it is really hard to find that information so that was why i named it found the fossil so if anyone does do that google search hopefully my website will come up straight away oh, for sure i mean actually in i kind of think about what can happen with that too so a good friend of mine's uh David Elliott, who's the chairman of um, the Australian Asian Dinosaurs Museum. Yeah, I know David. Yeah. Yeah, you undoubtedly you would. It's a small world in paleontology. Yeah. I wouldn't be very surprised if you didn't know him. And the story of him tripping over a bone is 100% very real. <laughs> and Absolutely. Mm. I love that story because I think mm. so many people were like, oh, it's not relevant to me. I would never find anything. And yeah, you hear these stories that people on farms and, you know, even last year, it happened as well. There was a site, I think, out near Goolgong in New South Wales where 
a farmer, I think, yeah, he had driven over this fossil site, you know, every day for the past how many years. And then one day he actually stopped his truck and was like, oh, what's this rock I've run over? And now it's been kind of um, said to be one of the best Miocene um, fossil sites potentially in Australia. I missed um, this. I literally was at that agricultural show, I kid you not, about three, two or three weeks ago, and I didn't know this happened there. Yeah, that? so it ended up being a great research project with the paleontologists from the Australian Museum. And so they went out there and a lot of the time it is like, look, it could just be a rock, so we'll, we'll hedge our bets. But if it is something special, we'll go and see just in case. And it was things like, um, what was it? They found an insect which they could still see the pollen kind of spores oh, on its cool. face. So something like, you know, these interactions in the ecosystem of a bee pollinating, you know, different flowers and stuff. Like, yeah, we think it happens, but to have that solid evidence that, yeah, this happened millions of years ago, similar to how it does today. Um, I think in previous fossil sites around Australia, we had something like one spider specimen. And I think from this site that went up to 16 different spider specimens or something. So it was pretty amazing. Oh, as well. And then all of a sudden you got a whole new branch to study and research all of a sudden. Exactly. But I think it's such a great example to show that, you know, a lot of people think that all the dinosaurs, they're already dug up all the fossils we've already found them all the aboriginal sites we already know about them but a lot of time we are finding new things all the time and so i think that spark of curiosity that actually you could find something too is something quite exciting to pass on i'm curious actually from an exciting standpoint uh if someone dumped i don't know a quarter of a million dollars at you to go start another go find go investigate a site yeah what would you what, what okay what period of time whereabouts <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I would, I love dinosaurs. I mm. think they're just, they capture the imagination for me like nothing else can. They're just so massive and monumental. And I think as well, somewhere like Lightning Ridge in I... um, New South Wales is pretty amazing. So it's got all of the opalized fossils and a lot of the locals there, there are some who will donate their fossil finds if they find it. But at the same time, they can make a monetary value out of the out of the opal itself. So there is some reluctance um, to donate at times, which is totally understandable. This is their well-being and this is their, you know, mm. their income. So I think if there was a way to kind of channel that money into the communities to say, okay, well, we can actually pay you, you know, what your fossil find is worth. And the Australian Opal Centre in Lightning Ridge is doing an incredible job of that at the moment. They're hoping to build a big museum up there. Um, so I think, yeah, it's a lot of dinosaurs up there. I've been lucky enough to go and dig there um, last year. So I think that would be extremely cool because there are very, I think Australia might be the only place in the world where you can actually get these fossils of opalized vertebrates. And I was so just thinking about special. the value. Like, I mean, I suppose value is in the eye of the beholder, but gosh, I mean, you can get an opal, you can get an opal, you can get an opal, different colors, but this one's got a dinosaur brain. <laughs> That's a little bit special. Exactly. And it's, yeah, it is tricky because a lot of the time these museums don't have a lot of mm. money incoming. So, you know, we do often rely on things like government funding, um, things like the cultural gifts program. So people can get like a tax incentive, I guess, um, if they do donate mm. things. But yeah, I think funneling that money, you know, specifically into the community to, you know, fund a dig specifically to find some of these dinosaurs or something would be extremely cool. And 
creates a model of partnership which can be emulated globally because i mean otherwise you've got this issue of reticence why would i yeah absolutely and again i think the museums and the people up there have already started on those partnerships and mm. yeah i think we can do more in that space it would be very cool oh fantastic look love hearing about this sort of world i mean congratulations again on being a superstar of stem and i mean yes there's gonna be a busy year with lots of different things i've got a few friends who have been through it and they i know it's a crazy year uh but the work you're doing is amazing and so just again we've got to go to our website don't we yes so yeah. definitely come and visit my founder fossil website uh if you want to know more about what you can do if you find things and if you are interested in having me come to your school or talk to your school via Zoom, something like that, my contact details are all there and I would love to hear from you. 100%. And as normal, we put that information in the show notes. You can check that all out for sure. Thanks very much, Sally, for hanging out with me. No worries. Have a lovely day. We hope you've been enjoying the Physics Ed podcast. We love making science make sense. Why don't you book us for a science show or workshop in your school? If you're outside of Australia, you can connect with us via a virtual excursion. See our website for more. Well, there we go. We just heard from Sally Hurst, a superstar of STEM with Science and Technology Australia and an amazing science communicator with the Australian Museum. And if you want to find out a little bit more what she gets up to, hang out with her on Twitter. So go to at Sally, that's with double L, Sally K. Hurst, H-U-R-S-T. I hope you enjoyed this particular chat. And as usual, we have more science chats coming on up on this podcast. You've been listening to me, Ben Newsom from Physics Education, and this is the Phys Ed Podcast. Hope to catch you another time. You've been listening to another Physics Ed Podcast. We're excited about science. Subscribe to us on iTunes to download the next episode as soon as it's released. And don't forget, for hundreds of ideas, free experiments, our new Be Amazing book and more, go to physicseducation.com.au. That's physics spelled F-I-Z-Z-I-C-S. This podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network. AEON.net.au